0: are going to have a great time together in God's word as we're getting ready to study in just a second Luke chapter 15. But before we do that, uh, let me break away from that. I wasn't intending to do this uh, until I heard that song and Danielle and Leslie and band and uh, everyone who sang. Thank you for that. If you don't know, I I was thinking as they were singing that song and they just kept talking about blood. um, I thought, you know what, if you don't know anything about the cross, that song makes absolutely no sense. And as a matter of fact, if you study Roman history, the Roman historians in the first, second, third century often characterize Christians as cannibals because they talked so much and wrote so much about the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And they misunderstood because they didn't know about the cross. They misunderstood the Christian's fascination with the blood of Jesus as them being cannibals. If you see this little card that we handed you? It's my goal as uh, as as one of your pastors here. Uh, This Friday night, we're having a Good Friday service. It's going to be a very in-depth teaching time all about the cross. For those of you who are here this Friday night, you will never hear anything again ever in your life about blood at church and misunderstand it. You'll know exactly what it means, why it's important, what it does for you as we walk through the scripture. The greatest statement ever made about Jesus Christ was made by his cousin. His cousin was John the Baptist, and he introduced him to the world. And he said, hey, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. If you don't know what that verse means, you can't understand truly what Jesus has done in your life. So we're going to start at that verse, Uh, and if you look here, it's not wrong. I'll probably teach for two or two and a half hours. This is for serious Bible students. This is not just a little church service. Serious Bible students who really want to understand the deep theology and doctrine of the cross. Friday night, we're going to hit that. I hope if you're available, you can come and join us. I promise you, you won't regret it. Uh, you'll uh, You'll learn a lot. You know, today's an interesting day. Because today is Palm Sunday, and I'm not going to teach on Palm Sunday. But for those of you brand new to church, say, what is Palm Sunday? It's the Sunday before Easter that historically when Jesus came into Jerusalem, uh, and he was hailed as what they thought was going to be the Messiah. uh, It was a big day. You hear the word Hosanna associated a lot with with Palm Sunday, which literally means God save us. And the Jews 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem just five days before he was crucified... They thought as the Messiah that he was going to come overthrow the Roman government and, and literally make Israel the, the king of the world as we hear about them being in the end times. They didn't understand who he was. And on that day, they took palm branches and they laid palm branches on the road in front of him. That's how you would greet if a king ever came to your city the way you would cover up the dirt, because remember that the roads were not paved uh, and they didn't ride in cars, the roads were dirt and they rode on horses and donkeys and cattle uh, and you can imagine how dirty that ground was if you've ever followed a horse at a parade um, and just seen him doing his business all along the parade route. Hopefully you've never had to be in any kind of marching band or anything after a horse. The roads were filthy, so what they would do is they would take huge palms off of palm trees, uh, off of, uh, off all kinds of trees and they would lay it on the road just to clean it up a little bit. And on that day, they tried to clean up the road a little bit for Jesus, welcome him into Jerusalem. Uh, but by the end of the week, they had forgotten all about him. And I thought, you know, that sounds a lot like church in the year 2012. On Sunday, we get all excited about Jesus. And then by the end of the week, we just forget about him. Until the next Sunday, then we get all excited about Jesus. And then by, throughout the week, we just forget about him. And we kind of have a Palm Sunday every Sunday in all culture. Get excited on Sunday and forget about him the rest of the week. And we hoped when we launched this church September 18th of last year, for those of you who are brand new, this church is just a little over six months old. It was our goal not to have a church that was just about Sunday morning. It was our goal not to have people who just cared about coming to church but truly wanted to have a relationship with God that would be kind of an all-day, every-day, rest-of-my-life type of thing. So we planted a church with this mission statement. I've given given this mission statement to you the last few weeks. As a church, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. That's what we want. We left the word church out of that mission statement. We left the word Journey Church International out of that mission statement. Our goal was not for you to decide to come to our church, be a member of our church, and stay at our church forever. Really, our church probably has very little to do with your lifelong spiritual walk. But if we can connect you to God and you can become a passionate follower of Jesus, then wherever you live for the rest of your life, wherever you go to church for the rest of your life, you can have a lifelong relationship with God, and you can impact the world for God. That's what we're trying to do as a church. And throughout this series, we're in a, a series that we call live, uh, Living Sent." Uh, throughout this series, we've talked about what it means to actually live your life for God rather than just going to church. And last week, we looked at Matthew, verse, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 the very beginning of the Great Commission. And we said, we're to live sent. We're not just supposed to gather, we're supposed to go. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus told the disciples, therefore, go. And last week, we asked the question, go where? You know, as, like, as a Christian, do I have to like go to another country? Do I have to go on a mission trip? Do I have to go into the inner city? As a Christian, what does it mean? Where am I supposed to go? In the message version of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 really says it much more clearly It says it this way, God authorized and commanded me to commission you, go out and train everyone you meet. Say, where am I supposed to go? Really nowhere. What you're supposed to do is focus in your daily life on everyone you meet and figure out how you can have an impact for them, uh, impact on them for Jesus Christ. And in this series, we've talked, and here's what I want to do. Here's my goal today. I want to narrow down the focus today to one. We said as a Christian, it was, it's our responsibility to impact our world for Jesus. We said, well, what is our world? We called it a scope of life. It's the people we work with. It's the neighbors we live by. It's the people that our kids are on the same sports teams together. It, you know, it's, it's uh, maybe friends and family. It's probably less than 20 people. Most of us live in a world that's characterized by somewhere between 18 and 30 people that we probably interact with on a regular basis. Those are the people that we want to try to have some kind of spiritual influence on. Last week, we narrowed it down to seven. We said, pick seven of those. We called it our safe seven, looking at Noah's Ark. Noah had the opportunity to take seven people with him to basically uh, be able to start their life over. And we said, if, if the world was going to flood and you could have seven people in your life that you wanted to save so they could start over, who would the people in your life, the safe seven be, that you really feel like you want to introduce to God? But really, more than the safe seven, it usually boils down to and begins with one. So here's my one question for you this morning. Here's what we're going to focus on our entire Bible study in Luke chapter 15. Who is the one person in your life that you say, Christian, man, if I could have an impact on just one person in my life, who is the one person in your life that you really want to see impacted uh, by Jesus that you want to see become a Christian? that you want to see be given a second chance? Who's the one person? Because usually it begins with one. You know, the greatest ministry that I've ever done in my life uh, was before I was a pastor. Really, it was, before I was, it was before I went to Bible college, it was before I went to seminary, it was before I was even a really good Christian. I was, I was in high school. And right before my senior year in high school, I'd gone to a fellowship of Christian athletes, football camp. Some of you have, have done some FCA stuff. Some of the schools have FCA stuff that your kids are involved in. And at this FCA camp, the, you know, one of the pastors one night uh, challenged us to think about one person in our life uh, that we were really close to, that we desired to see become a Christian. Uh, and for me, it was instantaneous. My best friend in the whole world, his name was Todd, uh, we'd been best friends since middle school. I mean, this is the kids, some of you had a best friend like this. We ate lunch every day for six years together, 7th through 12th grade. Uh, every Friday and Saturday night, we were together. We played all three sports together. We went to the same summer camps together. We actually dated twins for a year, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, we were like, we were like so close that we, we liked the exact same looking in a girl. So, we, you know, we found some twins. It, it awkward, but it's true, unfortunately. Um, I mean, we were the best of best of friends, and he was a great guy. He actually lived a life better than most of the people who went to my church, but I knew he was not a Christian. And I really got a burden that, you know, man, if, I, if there's one person in the world I want to see become a Christian, it would be Todd. So I got home from camp and I called him up on the phone. And this was back in 1995. Some of you remember these phones. And, you know, I picked it up and like, you know, you spun the dial and then you wait for it to go back and you spin the dial again and you wait for it to go back. So if you're a teenager, you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's actually connected to the wall. You couldn't go and hide. Um, called him up and said, Todd, hey, can I, can I come over and chat with you? And he said, yeah, come on over. So I drove 20 minutes to Todd's house, got out of the car and talked to todd about becoming a christian i said hey man you know here's what happened uh at camp here's what we were challenged to do and i just want to know are, you know are you a christian um and asking this question like if you died do you know you'd go to heaven and he said well you know i don't know if i'm a christian but yeah i think i'd go to heaven if i died and so what if i told you the bible said that you had to become a christian but like you can do that today and he said you know what let me think about that and get back with you now todd and i i mean we're as close as any two people could come, and I was crushed. I thought, you know, I can't even tell my best friend about Jesus. It didn't work, and I went home totally depressed, totally deflated, uh, and three or four days later, Todd called me. and said, hey, I was thinking about what you said. He said, maybe on my 18th birthday, um, like that can be my birthday present to myself. I'll give myself heaven, you know, <laughs> well, whatever, you know whatever way it works, um, but that was like a month away. And I said, okay, I'll call you on your birthday, and we'll figure this thing out. Because it was really heavy on my heart that, like, my best friend in the world wasn't a Christian. Uh, And just a few days later, he called me. He said, Christian, so what? He said, can you come over? And he lived, like, 25 minutes away from me. We lived out in the country. I went to a very country, small, hick, redneck high school. From one end of our district to the other end of our district was almost an hour drive, and we only had about 350 kids in our whole school. It was just way really spread out, and... In southern country, Ohio. So I, uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I can come over. What's going on? And he said, I don't know, man. I've just, I've been thinking, and I've been waking up at night, and I just, I think I need to become a Christian today. Can you help me do that? So I said, of course. So I jumped in my car, drove 25 minutes to his house. I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't even a very good Christian. I had to take a little FCA Bible that I had because it had a little prayer in the back. I didn't know how to pray the prayer. And I I can picture it like it was yesterday. We went into uh, his room, and I was sitting on his little brother Eric's bed. They had two twin beds, and Todd was sitting on the other side of the room. And I said, man, I don't know how this works, but I know the Bible says God loves you. He'll forgive you of anything. He'll save you. He'll change you. And I said, I'm going to read this little prayer, and you just repeat it after me. And I'm I'm not going to close my eyes because I've got to read it, but you just say it after. And somehow the Bible says you get saved if you do that. And he did that, man, and he was crying, and I was crying, and we were you know, this is cool, and you're going to go to heaven, and, you know, now you're a Christian. And, and he said, uh, so what about Hager? And Hager was another one of the guys that we ran with. So what about him? He said, well, should we talk to him about becoming a Christian? So I didn't even think of that. He said, well, let's go to Hager's house. So we jumped in the car that day. <laughs> Hager actually lived by me. So we drove 25 minutes to Hager's house. And Hager lived on a farm, and he was up working in the barn. And you know, we found it, asked his dad, hey, where's Josh? So went up in the barn, and he had kind of a weight room up there. So we told hey, here's what happened to Todd. And, you know, Josh, you know, we immediately thought about you, and we want you to become a Christian. So same thing happens with Hager. Hager becomes a Christian that day. And, you know, as we're all talking, Hager says, what about Kearns? Kearns was another guy that we played sports with. And we're like, we didn't even think of Kearns. Kearns lived literally two houses down from Todd. So we all got in our car, drove all the way back. I mean, we we were not very well planned in this at all. Went and talked to Scott. Same thing happened with Scott. Same day, Scott becomes a Christian. Scott says, what about Coop? And slowly, everyone who became a Christian automatically thought of one person. And we went and talked to him. Over the course of two weeks, we have 14 people just in our senior class that became Christians over the course of two weeks. 11 football players, two cheerleaders, and somehow a kid in the band got saved. I even, I'm, not, I'm still not even sure how that happened, but it did. Like He showed up and he's like, I'm a Christian. We're like... Uh, you know, cool, who told the banquet? I mean, we, you know, it was just, I didn't understand how it happened, but it was all because everyone cared about one. As we open our Bibles today in Luke chapter 15, you're going to read how much Jesus cares about one person becoming a Christian. Ushers, I'm going to ask you, if you did not bring your Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to pass out Bibles just so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, this is yours to keep. You can have it. We've given away nearly 250 Bibles since our church has started because every Sunday we're going to open God's Word. We read it. We teach from it. Um, so if you just forgot one today, wave it an usher. You can follow along. You throw it on the table when you leave. If you don't have one, this is yours to keep. Put your name in it, uh, and it's uh, it's our gift to you. Thanks for uh, Thanks for being at our church today. But in Luke chapter 15... If you just want to, for those of you who are kind of serious Bible students, if you want to jot up in the notes of your margin, uh, Bible scholars call Luke chapter 15 the heart of the gospel. They said if you could have one chapter in the entire New Testament, just one chapter in the entire New Testament, that tries to explain how much Jesus loves people, this is the one chapter you would read, Luke chapter 15. And I want to kind of go through this chapter today, and I want to talk to you about the one chapter in your life just one person not changing the whole world not saving everyone at your work not seeing all your neighbors just one person that God has laid heavy on your heart that you would like to see become a Christian I'll start in verse one we'll go through verse two and we'll stop and teach uh, every now and then from time to time it says now the tax collectors and sinners please don't let that word uh, sinner offend you that that describes everyone before they begin to have a relationship with God me you all of us Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, I want to stop right there, and and I want you to say two words. Uh, Say the words, living sin. One more time. Say the words, living sin. These Pharisees and teachers of the law were not living sin. As a matter of fact, they despised people who didn't go to their church and dress like them, and act like them, and talk like them. They thought that they were the scum of the earth. As a matter of fact, I was studying a a little um, Jewish history this week, and William Barclay, who is a tremendous historian, has studied some of the writings of the Pharisees. And there was a book called Pharisaic Regulations that explained the categories that people would be placed in. There were spiritual people. Then there were super spiritual people like the Pharisees. But then there were people who, they didn't go to church, um, they didn't really love, love God or know God. They, they weren't real religious or spiritual people. And the Pharisees called them people of the land. There were heavenly-minded people and then people of the land. And here were the Pharisaic regulations regarding people of the land. I think it will be on the screen behind me. This was taken from Dr. William Barclay studying history. Here's what the Pharisees said about people who didn't go to their church, act like them, look like them, uh, have a relationship with God like they did. When a man is one of the people of the land and trusts no money to him, Take no testimony from him. Trust him with no secret. Don't appoint him guardian of an orphan. Don't make him the custodian of charitable funds. Do not accompany him on a journey. Literally, they were saying, someone who doesn't go to your church and act like you, have nothing to do with them. Don't think about them. Don't talk to them. Don't hang out with them. Don't be with them. And you know what they were saying? Don't impact them. Don't love them. Don't live sent. And they were upset because here Jesus is. Jesus is not one of the people of the land. He's one of the spiritual guys. He's hanging out with all these guys who don't yet have a relationship with God. And they're saying, why would he do that? Jesus answered, over 40 times Jesus answered this question. Why are you hanging out with people who aren't spiritual? Over 40 times Jesus says, I was sent to them. I was sent to them. 40 times Jesus used the words, I was sent to them. I came not to hang out with all the people who go to my church, but to influence and impact people who don't, know you, who, who don't know God yet. I was sent to them. Jesus lived sent. And what we're trying to do as a church is I'm trying to get it into your head to live sent, to have people and relationships and friendships with people who aren't just all Christian church people. Why? So you can have some kind of influence on them for Jesus. So who, who are we specifically sent to? 40 times Jesus says, I was sent. One time Jesus said, now I send you. After he had died on a cross, after he was buried, after he resurrected, he told his disciples right before the Bible says he ascended into heaven where he'll come again to receive us so we can go be with him where he is. He said, I was sent, but now I send you. I'm out of here, and now it's your job. First week of our series, we handed out blue batons to remind us. It's our turn now. Jesus did his part, and then the disciples did their part, and the apostle Paul did his part. Now it's our turn to run with the baton, we are sent to our generation, our scope of life. But probably more than anyone, uh, more than all the people in our life, probably we're sent to one more than most. For some of you, it's a husband. If you could have one person in your life that you would like to see become a Christian, it would be your husband. For some of you, it's a wife. If you could have just one person in your life that could become a Christian, for some of you, it's your kids or it's your parents or it's a sibling, or it's a boss, or it's a co-worker, or it's a neighbor. You've got this person that every time you're with them, your heart kind of thinks, man, I wish they could become a Christian. I want you to think about that one person today because usually living scent begins with one person. And one, according to the Bible, is important. Even if it's only one in a hundred. Look at Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Even when it's one in a hundred, one is important. I'll start in in verse one again just so we got a good flow going. Now some tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man Jesus, he welcomes sinners, he eats with he hangs out with people who aren't Christians. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, one person who's not near God, who becomes close to God, than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Now, this word shepherd, it's a really interesting word. You should jot that word down on your, on your sermon notes. Shepherd is one of the Old Testament's favorite descriptions of the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? The Old Testament presents the Messiah as the Savior of the world. And one of the things they used to describe him the most in the Old Testament was the term shepherd. Now, I'm not going to go in detail on Old Testament history today. Friday, I will do that a lot. Uh, I mean, we've, we've been assembling our notes and our PowerPoint and our sermon notes, and everyone is overwhelmed just by how much information we're going to be giving away on Friday. It's, it's going to be a lot. But we'll talk about how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament then, but you need to know that Old Testament often talked about the Messiah loving like a shepherd love. Now, here's one of the interesting things about the New Testament. Nine times out of ten in the New Testament, if a shepherd was watching sheep, they weren't his sheep. Shepherd, being a shepherd was usually a job um, that you worked because most people didn't want to watch your sheep. They didn't want to take their sheep out. And by the way, most families. had one or two sheep no one would have a hundred sheep unless you were extremely extremely wealthy so what you do as a village you would hire two or three shepherds maybe an entire village would have a hundred sheep and you would hire two or three shepherds to kind of watch over your sheep and be in charge of them now that's going to tell several things first the fact that the shepherd didn't own the sheep but was concerned for the sheep tells us this we are not responsible for other people's lives spiritually we can't make anyone love Jesus. We can't make anyone become a Christian. We can't make anyone read their Bible. We can't change anyone's heart. We are not responsible to make them something. The, the, the shepherd did not own the sheep, but we should be concerned about them as if they were our own. So the shepherd didn't own the sheep, but he cared about it like it was his own sheep. And this parable that Jesus told was something that, w- that a community would have taken notice of because a sheep Would have been one of the most valuable things that a Jewish family owned 2,000 years ago. And here's the story Jesus told. Say a shepherd takes a group of 100 sheep out, and they come back, and there's only 99. One's lost. Is he not going to go and get the one he lost and bring it back? I was reading this week, again, just studying the history of this. And Dr. Barclay said, normally, he said, if a community lost a sheep, he said they would go on vigil as if in our town we had lost a child. And he said the shepherds would go out and they would search far and near for that sheep. And he said no one in the community would eat dinner. No one in the community would clean up. They literally would wait on the edge of the town until they saw that silhouette of the shepherd in the the starlight coming over the hills with a sheep on his shoulder. And the entire city would rejoice that the one that was lost had been found because they, they counted it as one of the community and they knew what it meant to someone else. Now, let me ask you, what if a church responded that way? What if an entire church community was so aware of the one new person that came in a church that they rejoiced when somebody from outside came and, and began a relationship with God? You know, last week, two people in our church became Christians last week. And very few people even know about that. But what, you know? what if as a church we celebrated that? What if as a church we live sent so much to the one that even in a group this size, you're aware if there's a new person sitting around you. you I'll ask you the question. Do any of you have anybody new sitting beside you? Maybe someone that's their very first time? Have you even thought about that? Have you looked? Have you asked? Did you wonder? Did you notice? Did you pray? Did you think about that maybe our community today could have somebody who is lost spiritually walk in and today they could find God and we could be a part of that just by all the things that we do. You see, when, when a church... Together combined begins to worry about one It'll reach hundreds and if you're the one today who who has come in welcome. We're glad you're here We can't force you to do anything spiritually But man, we sure hope that today you might recognize you need god in your life become a christian and be changed forever That's what we hope for you today. Why because one is important even when it's one in in 100 one is important luke chapter 15 says even when it's one in 10 See, say even you know, God cares about the one percent. Well God even cares about the ten percent. In Luke chapter fifteen, we go through verses eight through ten and we see Jesus talking again about, hey, one is important. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, the coin that this lady lost, if you go back and study coins in ancient history, was called the silver drachma. It was only worth 15 cents. You see that and say, Yeah, so what? She lost 15 cents. Well, 15 cents 2,000 years ago was an entire day's wage. You think, well, they, you know, it's a little more, but ah, you know, nothing that would ruin your life. Well, for a woman, it would be different. You say, why? Because a woman all of her life would save ten silver coins, ten silver drachmas, and the sign that a woman was married in ancient Israel was that she would wear a chain of ten silver coins around her head, and instead of wearing a wedding ring, this would say when she went out in the community, I'm married. I'm spoken for I'm being taken taken care of some man has honored me as as his wife So she lost not just 15 cents. She lost not just a day's wage. Listen to what she lost She lost her identity in the community She lost her identity what she thought people respected her for what she thought made her important She lost all of her value when she lost this coin So jesus said even though she had nine she stopped immediately and this one became very very important important to her Guys, I want to tell you I believe we've got an identity crisis in our world today Even among this church. That's why we're doing you see that banner hanging in the back of the room starting next sunday We're doing a series called words with friends. Some of you have played that game on your phone We're going to preach on six words that I believe can change your life Why because people are struggling with an identity crisis? I want to talk to those of you who are discouraged and I know in a church this size We have people that are not only discouraged, but probably are depressed I want to talk to you about the word shame And what happens when you when something happens in life to cause you to be ashamed you lose your job Your marriage falls apart your kid does something crazy And and you just you walk around in shame all the time. I want to talk to you About the word balance Some of your identities are wrapped up in how much you do And all you're doing is killing yourself, killing your marriage, killing your kids. uh, And and you're like continually a nervous wreck. You live on Red Bull because your life is so like overwhelmed with stuff that, you know, you're totally out of balance because your identity is wrapped up in the next raise or the next project or the next climb up the corporate ladder because identity is important. And it's so interesting that this lady, when she was looking for identity, the first thing that she did, the Bible says, is she lit a lamp. She's in the house. You've got to think, this is way before electricity, right? She loses one of her coins. She lights a lamp because she has to be able to see what she's trying to find. It's so interesting that Jesus, in John chapter five, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus told his disciples, he said, You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hid." What was he saying? He's saying people who are trying to find themselves... People who are trying to find their identity, people who are trying to get over discouragement, people who need forgiveness, people who live in shame. Those people need someone to turn on the light for them so they can see what they're looking for. Your life is that light. Just show up in their life and be a light to them. Step number one, which what we talked about two weeks ago, we have to be a come and see Christian. Say, so what does that mean? I don't want anyone in our church to be a confrontational knock on your door, somebody open, the church, somebody open the door, are you going to heaven or hell? That's not how Jesus presented the gospel. He was a come and see Christian. What does that mean? Look at my life, come watch what I do, and hopefully there will be something intriguing. Hopefully there will be something attractive. And by watching me, you'll learn who God is and who Jesus is. Become a come and see Christian. Be a light. Secondly, though, she swept the house. So first she needed someone to show her, What she couldn't see and then secondly, she needed someone to remove all the obstacles in her life that were in the way Now this would have been a really tedious task two thousand years ago in jerusalem Uh, And the only way I can describe it is this way. I mean she didn't have linoleum. She didn't have tile She didn't have carpet. She had dirt that that's what her floor was dirt And have you ever swept up dirt in a confined space? You know, I didn't grow up in a house that had an attached garage and a few years ago, we lived in our house, and I cleaned my garage for the very first time in the dead of winter. I just went out, uh, and, and like, you know, I was a young, a young husband, a young dad, and I just kind of threw everything in the garage. And one day, I picked up something in the garage, and like a group of mice had decided to start a colony, like in my garage, in my house. So for like three or four weeks, uh, it was like the Hunger Games, except with mice. I was killing mice like every other day. I was, I was out in the garage killing mice, and I thought, I've got to clean my garage up. But it was so cold outside that I thought, I'll clean the garage with the garage doors closed. Uh, Have you ever tried to do that? It's not a real smart thing to do. So here I am inside an enclosed space, and I'm sweeping all this dust. And by the time I get done, like, I can't see anything. All I had done was stir up dust because I hadn't opened the door to let any of it escape. Some of you, just simply by telling someone you're a Christian, by inviting them to an Easter egg hunt, by inviting them to come to church with you on Easter. Some of you, for the first time, will open the door in someone's life so all the dust can clear and they can see, wow, this is who God is and this is what God can do for me? I'm interested. It's why I'm going to ask everyone in our church, and I want you to hear this, I wanna, I'm going to ask everyone in our church this week to approach someone and invite them to come to church with you next week on Easter Sunday. If we don't open the door for people spiritually, if we don't turn the light on for people spiritually, who's going to? The, the, the most attractive Sunday in the calendar year to invite someone to come to church with you is Easter Sunday. More people say yes to an invitation to come to church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday. Why? Because it's what everyone's supposed You're supposed to go to church on Easter Sunday. And a lot of people are living their lives with the garage door down and there's dust everywhere and maybe the light's on. But they, they can't see the way out of their current situation in life. Maybe if you would open a door and invite them to church, not force them to become a Christian, but invite them to church, maybe their perspective in life would change. We can't just stir up religious dust in our Christian life. Sometimes we have to be real clear about what it takes to become a Christian. Why? Because we believe that becoming a Christian changes people's lives for the better. In John 10.10, Jesus said, "I've, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Your life will be better as a Christian than it was not as a Christian. That's what Jesus promises And I believe that both on the inside and on the outside Two things I want to show you about the two stories above before we move into the third one It's really interesting in the first story God went searching for the sheep who didn't even know it was lost You and I have people in our life who don't even understand that they're away from god they're just out grazing and eating grass. You know that sheep are, the, are some of the stupidest animals that, that exist, right? Like dolphins are among the smartest animals. Sheep are among the most stupid. There's been video taken of sheep who literally eat grass and walk right off a cliff because they don't look up and realize it's there. Sheep are stupid. Um, and I'm not saying people are stupid, but I'm saying sometimes uh, people are so distracted that if we don't tap them and say, hey, there's a cliff there, they'll walk right over it. And what happens is God searches. Sheep didn't even know it was lost, but God cared. God went after it. Secondly, I want you to see that in both of these illustrations that Jesus used, there was a party when the person who was away from God became close to God. Both times there was a party. God is excited to see people who are not close to him become Christians. You know, most of us think that God looks at people like this. Arms crossed, scowl on his face, shaking his head, you dirty rock scowl. God says when people become Christians, the first thing we do is celebrate. We'll fix all the other stuff in their life later. The first thing we do is celebrate. We're going to throw a party when somebody away from God comes to God because that's the heart of God. He's excited to have you in his spiritual family. One is important even when it's 1 in 100. One is important even when it's 1 in 10. One is important. Even when it's one of two And i'm not going to read the last portion of luke chapter 15 because it's going to take a long time to get through But for those of you who are new to church, I want you to write the word prodigal son on your sermon note Because jesus ends by telling a story that's much different from the first two He tells a story of a man very wealthy man who has two sons And his younger son is uh, the the best thing I can The best way I can describe his younger son is he's like charlie sheen If you don't know who Charlie Sheen is, God bless you, but you probably need to get out a little bit more. Um, I mean, that's the best way to describe who this kid is. His dad hasn't died yet. He goes to his dad and says, look, anything you were going to leave me after you died, I want it now. I'm out of here. So the dad says, okay, gives him his money, and he said he went to a foreign land. We'll call it Vegas, and it says he spent all his money on booze and prostitutes. We'll call him Charlie Sheen. You get the illustration of how that all works. So after he does all this, he blows all his money. He doesn't have any more money. No sitcoms will hire him to act in any more shows. So he goes back to dad. And he says, you know what? If I go back to my dad, at least I'll have something to eat. He was starving in a foreign land. And he said, I'll go back to my dad, and I'll I'll ask my dad if I can become a hired servant. Now, in those days, uh, in biblical days, in in Rome, there was a lot of slavery. And slavery was very normal. And good people treated, treated their slaves like family members. But there were household slaves that lived with the family, they had a place to sleep, they had a place to eat, they had clothes to wear, the, the, the person who employed them took care of them like they were family. And then there were hired servants. These were people who would work eight to five. They didn't live there. All they got was one free meal, lunch. They didn't have a place to sleep, eat. So this son came back and he said, you know, I know my dad's not going to let me live in the house. I know my dad's not going to give me any clothes. I know he's not going to treat me like family, but maybe he'll give me a job so at least I can have lunch every day. Because in the first story, the sheep didn't know he's lost. The second story, the corn, coin certainly didn't know he was lost. But in the third story, it's someone who purposely rebelled against God and said, I, I don't want anything to do with him, who came back. If some of the one, the one that you're thinking about, it's someone who used to be really close to God and has rebelled. And sometimes they're the hardest to reach because they think like this kid God wouldn't take me back. Man, like I used, I used God. And I've been away. And, you know, I, I just I told God to shove it. I can't come back to God. And what we find out about is the one who has rebelled, who wants to come back, is welcome just like the one who was never there in the first place. Welcome with a party. Welcome with love. Welcomed with open arms. Celebrated as being lost and coming home again. You know, I had your last, word write, write, last week write two words at the top of your sermon notes. The word action and the word awareness. This week I want you to write the word approach. Because my goal for you this week And I told you, I don't want us to be a church uh, right now of of people banging on doors to confront people spiritually. We're brand new. We just want the people to know we're here. We love them. We care. But I said, I want you to live aware of the people in your life, that you have the opportunity to impact them spiritually. That's all I want. I just want you to be aware of that. But this week, because we're headed to Easter week and, and because this week it's possible maybe to raise up the garage door and shed some light on someone's life. I want to challenge you to approach someone this week. And, and here's what I want to ask you. If they're totally anti-church and they have kids, just invite them to the Easter egg hunt. Don't invite them to church. If you think that will offend them or scare them or ruin your relationship, don't invite them to church. But if you have a Todd in your life, somebody you're really close to who you can share anything with, I want to challenge you this week to pick up the phone and call and say, hey, come to church with me next Sunday on Easter, and then let's go have lunch afterwards. Because on this Sunday more than any other Sunday, people might say yes. And we're not responsible for them. We can't make them do anything spiritually. But we should be concerned enough about them to let them hear about who Jesus is and what he did and let them know how much God loves them. You know, I've been thinking about this message since February 2nd, believe it or not, this Sunday, April 1. I was at a conference just outside of Washington, D.C., and I believe God spoke to me real clearly while I was listening to a speaker that I was supposed to preach on Luke chapter 15 on Palm Sunday and that I was supposed to encourage everyone in here to invite someone to church on Easter Sunday. And I don't know why that is. I I can't explain the feelings that I get and why God leads me to do certain things. But since February 2, almost two months, I've been thinking about this message in this day and the one person in your life that you might go and talk to. And I was reading in my Bible this week and I ran across Matthew 9, verses 36 through 38. It's not even going to be on the screen because I did it late. And said when Jesus looked at people, he had compassion on them because they were directionless. And he told his disciples, I need you to help me reach these people because there's a lot of people that need to be reached, but not very many people that are willing to help. I need you to help. And I, I guess what I'm telling our church today is there's a lot of people in this community that really need Jesus. They need the light turned on. The one in your life is as important as the one in anyone else's life. And I want to encourage you this week to go after the one. You know, you might have uh, you might have heard of uh, Fabrice Muamba. Anybody here? Fabrice Muamba. he's a soccer player in Europe. He plays for the Bolton Wanderers and actually died two weeks ago in a soccer match right in the middle of the field. Um, just literally dropped dead cardiac arrest on the field. And he was dead for 78 minutes. They shocked him with the little shock things 15 times before they could get a heartbeat again. And I have to wonder if after 12 and 13 and 14, if someone said, it's probably going to happen. It's been 10 minutes. It's been 20 minutes. It's been 40 minutes. It's been an hour. It's been an hour and 10 minutes. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. But somebody on that 78th minute says, I think this person still has a chance to be alive. And they hit him again, and he came back to life. Nothing's wrong with his brain. Nothing's wrong with his heart. They said he's a modern day miracle. He's sitting up in bed. He's talking. He's eating. He remembers everything. Somebody probably should have left him for dead. 78 minutes. 15 shocks. But someone said one more time, I believe this dead person can live if we hit him one more time. You know, a lot of us have people in our life that we think are just dead and gone spiritually. This week, let's hit him one more time and see if that shock, if that approach, if that invitation can maybe bring somebody back to us Who's been gone for a long time spiritually now let me say this before we close in prayer If that person is you today Maybe you came in and people have been banging on you spiritually forever and nothing's ever happened But today you realize god loves you Today you realize that god can forgive you today. You realize that god can change you First thing I want to do is approach you and let you know that today you can become a christian So, how do I do that? I'm gonna pray a prayer that you can pray and if you're in here today and you are not a christian Man, the coolest thing you can do before you leave this room is to pray to invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior and to take over your life so that regardless of where you were when you walked in, you leave very close to God. And maybe today a party will be thrown in heaven on your behalf. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name with every head bowed and every eye closed. And Lord, I thank you that one is important. Uh, Because Lord, at some point in time, Uh, It was my mom before she met my dad and then it was my dad before he met my mom And then his parents at some point they introduced me to jesus, but not everyone has had it that clean That clean and dry Some people in here lord have have wandered away and they didn't even know it some openly rebelled and ran from you regardless You don't care. You only care that we're here today and today we can make a decision to be the one If you're in here today and you're not a christian if you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to change your life and to give you eternal life, you can do that right now. So how do I do that? You can pray. So I don't know what to pray. I'll lead you. And you just say this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. And pray it in your head. Dear God, follow after me. Dear God, I want to become a Christian. I need you in my life. I pray today, God, that you would forgive me of all the things I've done up until this point in my life. That you would accept me just as I am. That you would change me, save me, give me eternal life. I want to be close to you today. I believe Jesus was your son, that he loved me very much, that he can save and change me. So today, I give you my life. Save me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just kind of slip your hand up and down just real quick? Yeah, Christian, I pray that prayer. Yes. Anybody else? Now, for the rest of you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to talk to you about the one. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to solidify that person in your mind right now. I want you to see them. I want you just in, your, in the closet of your heart to say their name. And then I want you to pray this prayer just in your heart. God, help me this week as I approach Insert the name. Help them to be receptive to me. And help me to be able to be a light for them. And God, help them to become a Christian because of my presence in their life. Give me courage to do this and help it to go well. God, we pray today both these things, that that you would change people and save people. That you would give us courage to approach people. We pray it all in Jesus' name because we believe he's the one who helps us to do it. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen.